Kelsey and I had a great weekend last week. We were in Owensboro, Kentucky. I preached for the uh, Owensboro Christian Church. Scott Kenworthy is the preacher there, and he's one of our Timothys from this congregation. So Scott preached here about a year ago. We've been trying to find a date when I could get down and preach for them, uh, and so it finally ended up working out last week. Scott attended this congregation for the three years he was here at Indiana University, and it was during his time in this congregation where he felt called by God to go into ministry and preach. And so Scott uh, is doing a terrific job. He and Sarah are ministering there. They're coming up on their fifth anniversary at Owensboro. And I wanted you to know that because I want you to see that as a congregation, you have a greater impact than you can possibly imagine on the lives of people you might not even know. But just by being here, by being a part of this family, he believed that God was calling him to do the same thing. And they're doing a terrific job. So keep them in your prayers, all right? We're in the midst of this uh, study about our values and our mission and purpose statement. And I got to tell you, I really like our values. In a church family this size, there will be discussions on, well, what does this word mean? Or, or why is it worded quite that way? I understand all that. Everybody's mind works a little bit differently. I just want you to know that there were literally hours and hours invested in crafting these various values that will help us live out this mission and purpose statement that God has given us. Each value that we have, if you've been reading through the list, each value begins with we. Now they could just as easily have begun with the church, okay? The church lives like God owns everything. The church mentors across generational lines. So we, we've got these, these values, and uh, what we see is that if you use the term the church, it is sort of taking it out of the personal. Now, I get it. We are the church, yes. But I don't know about you, but I have a really good ability to rationalize what I don't want to do. And so if it says the church lives like God owns everything, then I'm going to probably in my mind say, yes, the church is going to live that way and somebody in the church is going to act that way, but that may not pertain to me. But when I read a statement and it begins with we, we live like God owns everything. That, that pronoun we includes me. I cannot read that without accepting some responsibility for acting that way. I can't honestly say we live like God owns everything if I don't do that. So the we is important. Yes, we are the church. But we is a whole lot per, more personal in the way we we generate these values. So I really like the way they begin. John Muffler preached last week. I know John did a great job in talking about that second value. We mentor across generations. And it was nice to be able to hear from somebody from a younger generation. Because the younger generations are important. And, and their role in the kingdom is important as we look down the road. Today's value is no different. We think like everyday missionaries. All right, now I want you to add a we to the end of that, and I want you to say it out loud with me, all right? We think like everyday missionaries. Each one of our values begins or contains an action word. Live, mentor, think, 
tell, create. And some suggest that think is a fairly weak action word. But I really disagree. And here's why. Thinking precedes anything we do. Unless it's an involuntary action like a breath or the blink of an eye. Every other action is preceded by a thought. You don't think it, you don't do it. Proverbs 23 verse 7, New American Standard Version says, For as he thinks within himself, so is he. It's pretty clear. What your thoughts are here translate into how we act and live out there. 17th century French philosopher Descartes famously said, I think, therefore I am. If you ask me, thinking is a pretty great action word. Everything grows out of our thoughts. And we chose this one for this particular value because I suspect very few of us think like everyday missionaries. After all, in most of our minds, a missionary is somebody that moves halfway around the globe to tell others about Jesus Christ. Well, that can happen, of course, but that's not really the definition of a missionary. A missionary is simply one who is sent with the gospel. One who is sent with a message. One who is sent with a testimony. So if you want to remember missionary, just think of these two words. One sent. It can be as close or as far away as you make it. It can be somebody halfway around the world. Or it can be somebody just across the street. This is the whole intent of one life. Finding that one person with whom you can build a relationship and model a genuine faith. We want that to become a part of our DNA here. And unless we start thinking that way, we won't start acting that way. And God wants us to act that way. He wants us to be everyday missionaries. And that begins by thinking like that. So that when you go out of this place, you're going to start thinking, where does God want to send me now? Now, Brad Punius has been on our staff overseeing our missions ministry for the last many years. So I can't think of anybody else to tag team with me this morning on this subject better than Brad. So I'm going to ask Brad to come and talk a little bit about this concept of everyday missionaries and what we see going on here. Thanks, Tom. Sure. So if you look on the screen, this is not what we mean by think like everyday missionaries. I did wear my shirt from Ghana because I'm that guy, so anyway. Um, We want to visit a few places in Jesus' life that lay the foundation for all of us in how we go about thinking like everyday missionaries. The first scene is an interesting object lesson. It's pretty radical that Jesus, he trekked all the way to the north in Israel to a place called Caesarea Philippi where there was this huge rock face that had chiseled out windows with different idols to a number of different gods, Greek gods, Roman gods, um, and it was kind of the epitome of religious diversity, kind of like the Subway sandwich place for belief systems, where the people of the day could go and worship. And Jesus took them there of all places, and he said to them, "Who who do people say that I am? And they said, uh, John the Baptist, they said, uh, you're a prophet. And then he said, who do you say that I am? 
And uh, Simon Barjona spoke up and he says, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And right there, Peter made his first statement of faith and Jesus changed his name. And he said to him, okay, you're no longer uh, Simon. We're going to call you Petras or Peter, which also means rock. And then he said, on this rock, I'm going to begin my new uh, this new movement that early on was called the way, those people who followed Jesus. Well, there's been, over the years, there's been some um, kind of a double meaning there, and I'd like to interpret it as this. Jesus took his disciples to the most diverse place, to a dark place. In fact, there's a big arch there they call the gates of hell or Hades. And uh, he said, in this setting, in Israel, under Roman rule, guided by Jewish, corrupt Jewish leaders, I'm going to establish this new movement. Pretty tough to do that. That was part of his object lesson. And his other part was, and I'm going to do it through people like you, Peter, who we know from his history as being impulsive, if not manic. But we also know that he was the one who gave the first sermon on the steps of the temple in Jerusalem where 3,000 people gave, uh, were baptized at Pentecost. So, what can we take from that? I'll talk about that in a minute. The next scene is a scene that's dear to um, all of us. It's the upper room. And in John, John takes several chapters to talk about intimately uh, the interactions that Jesus had with his best friends, and, and, and uh, students, the disciples. And there, of course, he took off his, his robe, tied it around his waist, he washed their feet, and he showed them what it meant to be a true servant of all. And, of course, they, they, they resisted, but then he said to them, I have for you a new commandment. It's like if I were in the room, I'd be thinking, okay, the Torah, there are the Ten Commandments, there are the two commands you've been talking about, love God first and then love your neighbor, but what the, what's this new commandment? And he said, and he, uh, John writes it like this, um, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Well, at the moment, they couldn't have known what that meant because they had not followed him to the cross yet. Uh, by the time John wrote this, everybody knew what it meant, that this is a type of love that reaches beyond, hi, how you doing, or reaches beyond even family commitment, but to the point that Jesus gave his life. Uh, and that was the kind of model love that the early church followed as some of them went to the Colosseum as they stayed behind when the uh, plagues hit to take care of people, and many of them died there. A love that goes beyond our own self-protection or our own comforts. The third scene is a scene that I guess you would probably expect from the global outreach pastor, and that is the last scene in Jesus' life where he's talking to his disciples once again, and he basically says, hey guys, um, I'm leaving now, this is going to be up to you. Uh, don't worry, I'm sending a comforter. He already had that conversation with them 
Again, they hadn't quite caught on yet, but he said, it's up to you now. You are the ones that are going to go and spread this message to the whole world. And he said it in these words, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go then to all peoples everywhere and make them my disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. Well, if I were one of them, I would have thought, oh my gosh, what, what is he saying to all nations, to the rest of the world, even though the world was smaller than them, to them, going to Rome or going to Spain or going anywhere far away was just unthinkable. Most of them, the only travel they'd done was on foot with Jesus from the south to the north part of their small country of Israel. Through the ages, I thank God that the church of Jesus Christ has taken this uh, commission seriously. There are people who got on a wooden boat and they floated across the ocean to bring the message of Jesus Christ to the Americas. If they had decided to stay comfortable, if they had decided not to take a risk, we wouldn't be sitting here today. The same commission, the same command is there for us. So, we have 43 local and global partners that um, most of them, we've been in their homes, we know their children, we've seen them in action. Um, that's why when people look for me, sometimes I'm somewhere else, uh, because I have the privilege, really, of being uh, real partners with those people. Many of them have roots right here in Bloomington, and most of them, as ordinary as they are, they would say, oh, there are people at Sherwood Oaks who are much more skilled than we are, who have much more talent and ability to serve Christ than we do. But God called us here, and this is what we do. I want to just very briefly uh, let you know a few of them. Deepak and Simi Dengra are from North India. And, you know, they, uh, they came to Christ from a Sikh Hindu background in their early adult years and were rejected totally. They, were, they, were, they ran from their country. They... they uh, lost their family, their business, everything, but God called them back. And in the meantime, they got to know people here in Indiana, in Martinsville, which became a sending church of theirs, and we joined them in the effort of sponsoring uh, Deepak and Simi. As a result of their return back to the Punjab region of India, uh, over 10,000 first-generation uh, believers have been baptized into Christ because of their willingness to follow him. By the way, their youngest child uh, was born in the Martinsville Hospital. Uh, Terry and Amy Ruff, many of you know them. They were on staff here for many years early on with Tom and Elsie. Um, they were called to Ghana, Africa. They worked there in the north among village people, many different languages. They translate um, stories from the scriptures onto cell phones, like SIM phones, burner phones. And in the markets, and you see people listening to their phones and they're listening to the stories from the scriptures. Then they sit around campfires and they talk about them. They also have had whole villages come to Christ as a result of this outreach, most of them Muslim in their past. 
Valerie and Felipe uh, Colby, she was an optometry student here in, in Bloomington. She went to Honduras for their first mission trip where she met Tom and Carol Jeffries from this congregation. They've been there for 18 years now and countless people have come to Christ as a result of their ministry um, in the recently known as the most violent country in uh, the New World. Um, Andreas and Carol Pantau are, uh, she's, her name was Five Coats. She's from this community. She met Andreas in uh, Singapore, and now they have a ministry in the country with the largest Muslim population, and Andreas is kind of like that fly that bothers you when you're walking through the woods that you can't get rid of. His commission is to the 4% Christians in his country to motivate them to love their Muslim neighbors and teach them Christ, not to be a fortress in their churches, but to be a mission of outreach. Abraham Tang came to Bloomington as an immigrant. Uh, he came here as a preacher from Burma. He went to Cincinnati Christian University from here, uh, was ordained and, by us, and went to Fort Wayne, Indiana to start a congregation to uh, Burmese immigrants. There are over uh, 500 now that he has reached out to. 50% of them came to Christ as a result of their contact with the church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. They converted after they moved here uh, from Buddhism. By the way, on, uh, Abraham is, uh, will probably receive his reward, I would say, sometime this week. He's on his uh, last days here. His house is full of children and grandchildren and church members and other pastors uh, celebrating his life. The church will go on because of the way he's tended to leadership there. Eric Gutierrez is uh, a pastor here uh, helping us with Iglesia Hispana. He was a uh, medical doctor in Nicaragua who went to Spain to serve on a short term and ended up there for 20 years. There's something about these short-term trips that kind of pull people in. Um, and now he's here on sabbatical helping us out as a missionary to Sherwood Oaks. Elin and Ronnie Rajamani came here specifically to Bloomington as missionaries to international students. They have brought thousands of international students to our church through our doors, through the uh, furniture giveaway and also the other uh, Thanksgiving meals and things. He has a very active ministry with international students. Maggie Konstansky uh, is uh, uh, Donna, Donna Konstansky's um, daughter. She uh, is serving right now in Amman, Jordan. She works with World Relief, and she vets and places um, um, refugees from Syria and other places in the world. Uh, as uh, she lived through Arab Spring and through uh, the ISIS invasion in Iraq, and now she's in this place. Very proud of her. And lastly, Lauren Carmen. Lauren uh, Carmen Hong now uh, has uh, been a missionary to uh, France, to um, Korea, and also now, and then to Philippines, and now she's the director of um, programs at the Crestmont uh, Boys and Girls Club. So she's back home working and serving with us right here. These are remarkable people who have done awesome things, but just for our, our purposes, I tried to come up with, you know, what are some 
things that are commonalities that they have that we also can own as best practices right here uh, in Bloomington among our congregation. The first, um, the first thing that they, their commitment as missionaries is to, uh, the, is to Jesus, is to the way. They are very clear, all of them, if they were asked, uh, who do you say that I am? They would say, you are Jesus the Christ. So, as a best practice here, we believe that Jesus is truly the Christ. We believe that Jesus is the way. The best practices of life are contained in Jesus' teaching, the way he views people, the way he views life. We believe that he's the truth, our basis for understanding reality, for purpose, for meaning, our understanding of history, our understanding of eternity is because Jesus is the truth. And we believe that he's the life, that the best way to experience life with its ups and downs is to view it through the lens of a Jesus follower. Living here with a pluralistic background, with all the diversity that surrounds us, we're challenged every day to rethink through our commitments. It's not an easy answer to say, yes, we believe Jesus is the truth, the way, and the life. Uh, but that's one of the foundational truths about our missionaries and how we think like everyday missionaries. Uh, we're convinced that believing and following Jesus transforms lives and transforms communities. Our missionaries see that all the time. We see it as we travel and see them. We've seen it here in Bloomington as programs like Upward Sports are integrated into the sports outreaches of our community, as we have more and more people working with and serving uh, with the Boys and Girls Clubs and other social service outreaches here in town, we know that it makes a difference. We're emboldened also by all of this to share with others who we care about that these truths about Jesus. Next, we see that our missionaries have a commitment to that new commandment that Jesus issued, to love as Jesus loved. And as a result, they and we seek to see people through his eyes. We see every person regardless of race, regardless of nationality, gender, economic status, or belief system as made in God's image, worthy of our attention and our respect, whether they shop at Walmart or Target, or Aldi or Blooming Foods. We also are vigilant to the needs and opportunities that are around us as we see through Jesus' eyes. Places where we can share grace and where we can share hope with whoever's in front of us. We also seek opportunities to build integrity and honor in other people, especially those around us who are oppressed, who are broken, and those who are not like us. We aspire to feel with Jesus' heart, to cultivate genuine interest in other people, to have empathy 
to pray to be able to step into someone's life to the point that our heart breaks with them. And then, as our hearts are filled with compassion, that that compassion would drive us to action that reaches beyond our own security, beyond our own safety, beyond our own comfort, to make a difference in somebody else's life. Somebody said to me once, you know, I know I'm always my best person when I'm serving somebody else. That's really true. That's what we see on mission trips. That's what we know to be true about this. We also want to reach out with Jesus' touch. We want to be generous with our possessions, with our time, and with our interests because we know that God owns everything anyway. So let's just help him distribute the good stuff to the people who need it. We are selfless, willing to sacrifice on the behalf of others, and we are fearless, not afraid to reach out in the environment around us where religious chatter is forbidden. Um, I guess the more faith conversations I have with people, the more I want to have because I find that people don't mind answering the question, what's your faith background? And starting there. And once we start there as friends, only God knows where that could go. It's always positive, in my case anyway, in my experience. The last quality that we see in our missionaries is they have tenacious commitment to the mission, their willingness to go and do whatever God asks. From that, we as a church take the Great Commission seriously. Jesus didn't say, go make disciples and the missionaries can take care of the all nations part. He said, well, the, the Greek translates into, go disciple all nations. Jesus had a pretty serious uh, focus on going where people are not like us to take the gospel, even though it's scary, <laughs> even though we feel small and incompetent or unable. Then is when God comes alive and does it through us. On a side note, um, because I, my life experience is, is included a lot of global stuff, um, I've come up with this term. I've, I've noticed that in our world today that the borders seem to be going up, not only in the United States, but around the world. And more people prefer to keep their interests and their resources closer to home. Uh, and making a bigger distinction between local and global. And so I came up with this term, uh, global phobia or globophobes. I thought it was pretty cool <laughs> until I went to the, uh, I Googled it just to make sure no one else stole that, my term and it, it really means a fear of balloons. <laughs> but you know what I mean, so we'll stay with that. Uh, truthfully, I mean, I travel a lot and people would say, oh yeah, Brad's a guy who likes people over there. I believe that as soon as I step out of my life into the sphere of someone else, I've crossed cultures. Because the person sitting beside you, maybe most obviously your spouse or part of your family, lives in a different world than you. <laughs> I mean, we see things differently. We are different people. And as soon as we step into someone else's life, 
In my view, we've gone global. <laughs> I think global starts right outside of me. And so as God calls me to reach out to all nations, it starts right here, as Tom said. It also reaches to India, and it also reaches to the hundreds, thousands of international people that live in Bloomington. If you want to have a conversation with a Hindu, today you can, or with a Buddhist, or with a Muslim, or with a nun, or with a Wicca, or with people who have different belief systems who are looking for some answers. Uh, we have that opportunity as God enlightens and and focuses our eyes there. Jesus commanded his disciples not to be uh, globophobes, but to be uh, global by mentoring all generations close by and reaching people in nations far away. So, we defy ethnocentrism and a form of self-protection by stepping out into the lives of others. As we discover and walk his path for our lives, we are willing to take risks for the sake of the gospel and trust God for the rest, come what may. So, in conclusion, what new challenges do you think that God may have for you as you think like an everyday missionary? Do you have a person who you are investing your life in that God has brought to your attention? We're calling that one life. But are there people in your path, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family that are on your heart that you can pray and ask God to open channels for communication, to love them like Jesus does so they can see something different in this life we call Christianity? Uh, when you see a video like the Allards, does it tug on your heart? Uh, do you want to but never have really set the money aside or the time aside? Or have you allowed your fears to kind of take over? Uh, if you want to go to some other culture to experience what God's doing there, let me know. <laughs> we'll get you there for sure. Or is God calling you to use your skill, your expertise, your energy, your passion to reach out to international students, to possibly your own colleagues in your workplace, uh, to, to children or families at risk in our community, or to the elderly. Um, there is no end to the opportunity that there is to serve as you listen to God's call for your life and as you step toward it. May God continue to transform us and his church and our community as we think like everyday missionaries and move forward to follow him. Thank you. I have the highest respect and regard for somebody who goes around the world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I have no less regard for the person who walks across the street. I, I see them equally because the price of a soul, the value of a soul, is not increased by the distance that you go to share the message of the cross. And, and if your neighbor across the street or somebody living in your own household or the person who shares the yard next to you, 
doesn't know Jesus. Do you, do you realize that if they were the only one in the world that didn't have the promise of life everlasting, that Jesus would still have come to die for them? At such an extravagant price, shouldn't we start thinking like everyday missionaries that we have the goal to model and to share this marvelous gospel story? Yeah. Hey guys, put, this, uh, put that slide back up on the, on the screen, would you please? All right, now add the we. We're going to say it one more time. Here we go. We think like everyday missionaries. And you see that we is important because that means I've got to start doing that every day. Well, that's the one life. That's the whole principle of the one life, that DNA that we're going to change. Well, we're glad that uh, you've been here this morning. And I think instead of ending with a song this morning, I just want to end with a time of prayer. Okay? So, just want you to take just a moment and uh, pray about your thinking about everyday missionaries, and I'll close this audibly. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.